0: N-P-R.
1: This week, senators grilled executives from consulting companies like McKinsey and Boston Consulting Group. The executives are facing questions about one of their clients, Saudi Arabia's public investment fund.
2: Yeah. And in this hearing, Senator Richard Blumenthal is kind of angry.
3: We began this inquiry last summer because of our concerns that Saudi Arabia, a country with an abhorrent human rights record, was trying to take over American golf and use that institution to sports wash its own public image.
2: You know, you have Saudi Arabia out here trying to buy not just the PGA golf tour, but soccer teams, a cricket league, a tennis tournament. And it's happening on such a scale that they wouldn't even bother denying that they're trying to sports wash. Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, in an interview with Fox News last year, talked about sports washing and his country's GDP.
3: Well, if it's sports washing, I'm gonna increase my GDP by one percent, and then I will continue doing sports washing.
1: No
2: mints in words there. Yes,
1: and now that the Senate inquiry is going much broader than just golf, it's going to be looking into the entire $60 billion worth of investment that Saudi Arabia's fund has made in the U.S. since 2017. This wave of purchases are all part of an effort by Mohammed bin Salman to transform Saudi Arabia's oil-dependent economy.
2: This is The Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Darian Woods. And I'm Adrian Ma. Saudi Arabia is getting into trouble with U.S. politicians as it tries to pivot its economy. So today on the show, we explain Saudi Arabia's fantastical vision for its future and how it's trying to manipulate the oil market to fund it. That's after the break.
3: This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. Take control of your financial future with E-Trade. No matter what kind of investor you are, their tools and resources can help you be ready for what's next. Now, when you open an account, you can get up to $1,000 with a qualifying deposit. Terms apply. Learn more at etrade.com NPR. Investing involves risks. Morgan Stanley, Smith Barney, LLC. Member SIPC. E-Trade is a business of Morgan Stanley.
1: If you know one thing about Saudi Arabia's economy, it's that it has oil, which is very easy to extract.
0: Probably the cheapest at scale.
1: Richard Bronze is the head of geopolitics at Energy Aspects, which is an oil and gas consultancy.
0: If you look at something like U.S. shale, you're probably talking somewhere in the $30 to $50 a barrel for most shale. But it's a few dollars a barrel it probably costs for a lot of Saudi production.
2: And because of this cheap-to-produce oil... Saudi Arabia has been one of the most important suppliers of oil. In 1981, Saudi Arabia was selling the world about one in every six barrels of oil out there. And that made it the third richest country in the world per person after the United Arab Emirates and Qatar.
1: But Saudi Arabia doesn't just accept what the world market is willing to pay for its oil. It actually tries to influence what that price is.
0: Saudi Arabia is one of the only countries that kind of flexes how much it produces to try and control and influence whether the oil market has enough supply whether the the oil market kind of to avoid having too much supply
2: by sometimes restricting how much oil it produces saudi arabia hopes that this will make the global oil market bid higher prices for the oil it does produce consumers would see higher prices at the gas station and this potentially means saudi arabia can make more money overall
1: Now, carefully calibrating supply to meet demand in a way that maximizes profits is hard. But it's easier when other countries are on board. And that's where OPEC comes in, the Organization for Petroleum Exporting Countries. And for OPEC and its wider group, OPEC+, Plus, Saudi Arabia sees itself as a
0: leader. The Saudis are leading from the front, but it is conditional on other OPEC members doing a portion of that production cutting and constraining supply as well.
2: But recently, there's been one player stopping OPEC in Saudi Arabia from being able to control the oil market too much.
1: We're talking about the US. Over the last decade, US oil production has been booming, and the US is now the number one producer of oil. The US isn't part of OPEC, so when OPEC cuts its oil production at the moment, US oil at least partly makes up for that gap. But look, if you're an oil-dependent country like Saudi Arabia currently is, relying on oil is not a recipe for
2: long-term prosperity, because the oil market is volatile. It could run out, or be replaced by solar panels or batteries or, I don't know, hydrogen-powered planes. Also, the oil industry crowds out other exporters. And this is what economists call the resource curse, the paradox of plenty. Uh, We'll actually link to an episode we recently did on that in the show notes. And by 2016,
1: Saudi Arabia had slipped from the third richest country in the world per person to 41st. It was sandwiched between Portugal and Slovenia. So not poor, but definitely a fall from grace and even more concerning
2: for its future. And of course, all of this was a concern for Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, that same year, he announced this plan to diversify Saudi Arabia's economy. Here he is recently talking about it on Fox News.
3: We have, in the past, uh, few issues in Saudi Arabia and a lot of opportunities that we didn't use. We're trying to capture that and to go forward for a better Saudi Arabia. And that's what we're trying to do.
1: His big plan is called Vision 2030. Richard Bronze calls it an ambitious strategy.
0: It talked about uh you know really boosting lots of the non-oil sectors of the saudi economy boosting tourism boosting technology green investments and lots of kind of changes culturally a lot of loosening up of some of the traditional restrictions so you have things like building this futuristic city called neom
1: do you know what the m in neom stands for adrian
2: What? Mohammed bin Salman.
0: (laughs) I should have guessed that.
2: Things work differently in a monarchy. (laughs) Well, Niyam would be this new city that Mohammed bin Salman hopes to build in the desert. Nietzsche said, if you stare into a void, the void stares back at you. Oh, man, that sounds like one intense city. Uh, This is a promotional video for one of the mega projects that are planned to be part of Niyam. So stay with me. It is called Aquellum. And it's a kind of skyscraper dug into a giant rock by the water, which, get this, you access from underneath by boat. The is an ultra-luxury upside-down skyscraper.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to overstate just how out there Mohammed bin Salman's ideas for the city are. He's talked about a beach with glow-in-the-dark sand, a moon that rises each night, but it's made out of drones, He's got a ski field in the desert
2: planned. And as they say in the commercials, that's not all. You might've heard of this thing called the Line, which is a planned city within Neom. It's between these two glassy structures as tall as the Empire State Building, stretching over a hundred miles. Some estimates put its cost at a trillion dollars. Environmentalists say this would be disastrous, by the way, for migratory birds, which would, you know, smash into this wall of reflective glass. And in some ways, Mohammed bin Salman is hoping that NEOM
1: can be an answer to Dubai and the United Arab Emirates. There's really interesting
0: tensions between Saudi Arabia and the UAE. Uh, overall, they are close allies. But below that, um, you know, one of the things, for instance, is Saudi Arabia doing a big push for international companies to move their regional headquarters to uh, Saudi Arabia. Most of them today are headquartered in Dubai or Abu Dhabi.
2: So, at least in theory, Niam could be a way to attract foreign businesses, tourists, and to give Saudi Arabia's affluent and educated younger generation a place to work and play. But Vision 2030 isn't all
1: about these improbable buildings in a shiny desert city. It's also a goal to generally build the non-oil economy. It calls for more women in the workforce, more investment in and out of the country. And it's this focus on a mobile, outwardly focused economy that may have driven Saudi Arabia's talks last year to normalize relations with Israel. That was a huge step because Saudi Arabia hasn't recognized Israel in the past.
2: Of course, that big breakthrough was derailed by the Israel-Hamas war. Now, this week, we had Anthony Blinken, the U.S. Secretary of State, visiting Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia. He was there to talk about the conflict. And that's because Blinken recognizes that regardless of Saudi Arabia's economy in transition, Saudi Arabia remains a country with a lot of power in the region. This episode was produced by Corey Bridges with engineering by Neil Rauch. It was fact-checked by Sierra
1: Juarez. Kate Cannon edits the show and The Indicator is a production of NPR.
2: The Embedded podcast brings you eye-opening reporting. There's something that hasn't been
3: disclosed yet. Immersive journalism. I
0: could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust.
3: Personal stories. I was scared. Like, I can't protect you.
2: We are NPR's home for documentary storytelling. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Support for NPR comes from ADP. Say you're in HR and a solar flare adds an extra hour to each day. How would this impact business? ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to help your business take on the next anything. ADP, always designing for people. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch.